You're listening to Band Geek with Richie Castellano on the Riotcast Network. the band geek i'm richie castellano joining me today on the drums is my long lost best buddy andy ascalise Yay! Andy's back. the boys are back in town on the keyboards is the lovely and talented man of a million songs mr vincent innocente on the lead vocals is my beautiful wife, very talented. Everybody's very talented and lovely today. Everybody's and re- lovely yes. and talented. <laughs> Enrique Castellano. Woo! <laughs> uh, in the background, running the cameras, the director of our show, Ooh. the enchanting, mysterious Brandy Metaxas. See, I'm not lovely. <laughs> You're enchanting. Would you rather be lovely no, or enchanting? I'd rather be whatever you call me. That's right. And our very special guest today. The incredibly amazing, fantastic guitar player from Trans-Siberian Orchestra, the uh, Rock of Ages musical, and Joe Lynn Turner's band, and many, many, many others, Angus Clark. Now, um, Angus Clark might look like a very cool rock guy, but he has a dark, nerdy secret (laughs) that we were just discussing before we rolled, and this makes you the perfect... Uh, ca- perfect candidate to be a band geek guest. Uh, you did an album called uh, was it Battle Battlefield? Uh, uh, your last battle. Your, la- your last battle. <laughs> right. I like it. Already. I listened to it before, but I forgot the title. Um, can you explain what that is before we go into what your your nerdy secret is? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the um, it's it's based on a, a teleplay for a very popular television series, older television series from the sixties. Okay. The episode was called "Let This Be Your Last Battlefield." Okay. Um, and it's about uh, it's you know it's set in the future and but it's ostensibly about um, these two guys and like they're it's about race relations. But anyway, they're they're literally half black on one side and white on the other mm-hmm. side. And, and um, they're at war with each other, and they're the last two remaining guys of their race. But the, and the only difference is that one guy's black on the left side, and the other guy's black on the right side. Oh, okay. It's like left twix, right twix. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, and uh, so, anyway, yeah, that's what it's based on. <laughs> so, um, I remember that episode, too. <laughs> I remember that episode. I like that there are a lot of musicians that come up to me and they'll talk about like Star Trek or Star Wars, but this guy's putting his money where his mouth is. Like you actually <laughs> recorded an album of this, and I, I I'm so impressed by that. Like you know, I, I don't feel worthy to call myself a band geek when you actually recorded a Star Trek music album. And and, and I now it, that's a, on CD Baby, right? Yes. 
So go, head over to CD Baby and download Your Last Battlefield. And it's, it's on Spotify and on iTunes Spotify. Well. Yes, yeah. if you if you don't like physical media, <laughs> yeah. and um, and check it out. It's it's pretty awesome. Now, is there a way for them to sync it up with the episode, or like, <laughs> is there like instructions for that? Like if you wait, if you wait until like the Desi Lu logo comes up and you press play. <laughs> so okay, so yeah, so the like I think if there's. Ten songs on the album, or yeah. whatever. There's all but two songs on the on the album. The titles are Star Trek related, right. and um, so uh, the album titles "Your Last Battlefield." The the song on the album that relates that episode is called "Burning Cities of Sharon." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And there's other ones. There's drunk Klingons, and and uh, you know the opening scene of. Uh, Every Star Trek episode is like arrival at the planet, so it's a, upon arrival is the first thing. There's one little quote of the of the theme music. There's just the, the little bum, 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 just like somewhere buried in there. Right. So, like, so yeah. So I made this record, and I was on tour with the with the TSO like within the next couple of years. I don't know when I made the record in '09, but in 2011, I'm on tour. The end of every TSO show, we do an autograph signing, and we're all sitting at this long table. And you know, I'm I'm one of the veteran players in the Trans Siberian Orchestra. You know, so at that point, I was you know like 45, and um, you know, a lot of the singer dancers are are considerably younger than the band members. And I'm sitting next to you know a couple of them, and you know, just talking and whatever, and you know, hoping that you know. They think I'm cool, at least. <laughs> and so, <laughs> nothing more than that. And and so, a young guy comes through, young a kid, probably like nine or ten. So if he's watched original Star Trek, it's because his dad loves it, you know, mm-hmm. just like I do, right? And he comes through, and he's super nervous. And and the signing line is great because you get people who have waited in line for forty five minutes just so they can tell you like they didn't like your choice of guitar. <laughs> or, it's like you YouTube know, Live. Yeah, it's, it's I mean it's amazing. Like you know the the and then and then you have you know young kids and you know your heart goes out for them because they get all shy suddenly and you know they don't really know what to say or do you know what are they what you know but this kid he had his question he's like. You have this album, Your Last Battlefield? And I'm like, Yeah. He's like, Yeah, you have it? He's like, Yeah, yeah. I was like, Oh, that's awesome. And he said, Are are all of those titles based on Star Trek? And I was like, Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, they are. Cause that's like my thing. <laughs> and, and and then he, you know, he was like, That's so cool. And he moves on down the line and the girl who's sitting, you know, the girl who's sitting next to me is like Really? <laughs> that, <laughs> that was going to be my next question. So, anybody who's ever made an album knows it takes a very long time, and you and you pull a lot of resources together. You 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 take up every favor your friends have ever offered you when you're doing your own record. So, what did your peers say when they're like? This is what you're doing. This is what you're going to spend the next like several months of your life doing. <laughs> well, y- you know. Um, I don't know because it's an instrumental record, and everybody's just looking for for things to for titles, you know. Right, right. And like, and there's some there's some there's some bad ideas out there. Like everybody makes it like a sexual innuendo, and there's some like you know guys. Who, I, I think um, who's it? The bass player Stu Ham 
all of his titles are from Philip K. Dick and William Gibson novels, right? Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's got like all these titles out of like Philip and Philip K. Dick was was my dad's favorite author. Like I have this whole collection of ancient Philip K. Dick uh novels. Wow. Like like literally um two two books in one. It's like says twenty five cent paperback you bought at like a mm. magazine stand. And and uh, you know you read one book forward and you flipped it over and you could read the other book you know that's right. cool oh, that's so awesome all this Philip K Dick stuff so so Stu Ham had that and like Joe Satriani had the Surfing with the Alien I thought you know I'm I'm right in the ballpark with this thing you know in terms of making an instrumental record and it was just inspiring but dude you have no idea because the plan is is to actually like I've actually learned a bunch of these you know like uh... Let's see. Is that Jerry Goldsmith? That stuff. Yeah, right. It's all it's all Hollywood. Uh, you know, kind of. It, and and if and I was just watching. Uh, we we just watched West Side Story with my daughter, and it's like the music and what it sounds like exactly like the same. Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's like such a far out thing. I just remember because the first time I met, I think you brought this up the first time I met you, uh, because I you know I wear my I wear my geekdom on my sleeve and people take a look at me and they say, oh yeah, that guy's a nerd. But it's like, but Angus it doesn't doesn't put off the nerd appearance. But you have, you have to get past the external layer and then you realize, oh no no no, he's legit. This guy, this guy walks the walk. And and I just remember like we were talking about something and I think I I made like a Star Trek reference and I said uh, and you said. I recorded a whole album of Star Trek music. <laughs> and I went, I was like, nothing I could say is going to be as impressive as that. Uh, at least to me. I could be like, I have a Grammy or whatever, but like, no, this guy recorded a Star Trek music album. He wins. And, and, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a, I, I love Next Generation. He went, that's not Star Trek. <laughs> Surprised he came on the show. Have you, have you watched Discovery? Have I'm you watched both, the new one? Both a nerd and a snob. <laughs> Most the, nerds are at Most the same nerds time. Are. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I tried. You tried in the begin, like the, from the beginning. How far did you get? Discovery, like through the end of the first episode. Oh, <laughs> you see, I didn't like it at the end of the first episode. It wasn't until like the third or the fourth episode that I was like in it. I was like, oh no, this is great. It's, Especially where they left off. It's so funny. I'm just comfortable with the suspension of disbelief in the in the Kirk, you know, yeah. universe. And as soon as you take me anywhere else, I'm like. Yeah, sure. There's a lounge off the side of the bridge <laughs> where the captain can go discuss their feelings with some of them. It's like you do, you do that in the elevator. You do that in the turbo lift. Okay, here's another question for you. Stop turbo lift. I swear, if we get through this whole podcast without talking about music, I will be okay. With that. <laughs> Everybody knows that. It's like, I have a friend of mine I met at the NAMM show who was interested in building lightsabers. And I'm like, come on over. I'll, I'll, I'll help you build one. And, and I was t- talking about what we're going to do. He's like, we're probably not going to play guitar, are we? I was like, no. I have no and he's a great guitar player. I was like, no. What, what do you, you play guitar every day. You don't get to talk about Star Wars every day. Come on. But anyway, um, so are you also down with the movies? Um, I, I really liked the first Chris Pine 
uh, movie. Oh, the, the motion picture. Yeah, the J. When J. J. Abrams. No, oh, Chris Pine. I'm sorry. The yeah, uh, no, the, Star the, Trek the, one. The, the new reboot, the first of the reboot series. Yeah, which I, was great. I really liked a lot of things in it. You know, they made some obvious. You know, there was product placement, and there were some interesting mistakes. But, but I just, I just enjoyed it. It was, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like. I can be nerdy about the the you know hey here's the rules of science in that universe mm-hmm. and like let's stick to them kind of you know but I'm also just about the like I was I was watching it with my daughter and she's like is that the bad guy and I was like they're not like really bad guys <laughs> like you know everybody's just kind of misunderstood it's kind of like the Disney bad guys you know some somebody did something bad to them and they haven't gotten over it and that's why they're doing all this bad stuff and you got to figure it out but they can't get what they want without this other you know without getting in the way of what this other person wants and you know it's and she's just like oh it's like another long-winded answer from dad <laughs> so, so um but i just enjoyed that movie then the next two at the last one was kind of good i think the guy who played scotty directed it or something or did, yeah, wrote the yeah, screenplay Simon Pegg, i think wrote it had some good stuff in it um but they're all but the second one the con remake terrible why bother terrible but that was what i was actually asking you i mean that's fine what i was actually asking you is what do you think of the like the shatner wrath of con man come on dude and voyage home voyage home is one of my favorite movies ever Uh (laughs) whale song man love the whales i'm kind of vocal about this but i'm not the biggest jj abrams fan and when he no. when he remade Wrath of Khan, I'm like, that guy's got balls. You <laughs> got balls to do that. Completely uncalled for. I was like, I mean, you... like even ben- Benedict Cumberbund, whatever his name is, like he's he's wonderful, Cumberbund. but like he doesn't need to be Khan. He doesn't like, need to. Be Ricardo Khan. Montalban is Khan. Yeah. It's just like Chevy Chase is Fletch. Like he can, I'm not going to make an. <laughs> like like okay, here's the analogy. I lost you like, on that one. Okay. J.J. <laughs> J. Abrams is, is obviously a master of making adventure action movies. You know what I mean? He's, he's amazing at it. But you shouldn't touch Wrath of Khan in the same way that Quentin Tarantino wouldn't say, you know what? I'm going to remake The Godfather because I like that movie. And, you know, it's like I'm going to make Samuel L. Jackson play Michael Corleone. And I'd watch it. I'd watch it too. We don't watch it, but that's the problem. You can't, like, remake a classic like that. The great thing about being a musician and talking about movies is that we we take that there's that pressure off of offending someone that we actually know for the most part you're so right I can say I'm like J.J. Abrams and he's never gonna hire me <laughs> at least not now oh he was thinking about you for the soundtrack <laughs> yeah exactly he, he yeah. saw too many band geek I, I doubt he it said later I, I, yeah, he, he probably knows <laughs> if he watches band geek yeah no, but he the, doesn't. No, he doesn't. <laughs> Opening. Imagine, saying. imagine J.J. Abrams is watching every single episode of Bang Geek. <laughs> actually, imagine. Actually, just reminded me. Um, if you like what you're hearing and like what you're <laughs> seeing, please support Bang Geek by using our tip jar. That's uh, richiecastellano.com/tipjar. It brings you to a site from our partner site, Streamlabs, and it's a regular PayPal form. And we really appreciate the contributions, and that helps us to keep doing this sort of thing. Helps us buy pizza, and in this case, tacos, like we did today. Um, also, if you use Amazon, use our Amazon link, which you could find at riotcast.com slash bandgeek. Uh, you click that before you do your purchasing, 
and a small percentage of your order goes to supporting our show and doesn't cost you anything extra. Finally, if you want to support BandGeek and, and wear some swag, you can go to bandgeek.merchtable.com where you can find our T-shirts and hats. I think we have a few left. And, uh, yeah, they're that really cool animated version of, of all of us uh, done by the incredible Mac Myers. And uh, look out for that because I think we're going to be adding a few more items to that store uh, soon. So, yep, that's, uh, that's I took care of the business. The reason why is a segue because um, in my little um, clip, I'm going to fly over this. It's, it, it says, uh, like, it's showing the instructions of how to put in the tip. And it says, like, you know, J.J. Abrams is the name, and he's tipping us $100 you know, million dollars apologizing. Oh, for is it. that why you did that? Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. It, it's like, sorry, I screwed up Star Wars. And that's what so that's why. I did really? That. I, yeah. But we can. I can conclude the thing with the with the the movies by saying that the the way that the new movies are informed by what superhero action movies are about these days is, I think, where I it falls apart for me because they all. I was just explaining this to somebody else because they all end with. You know, twenty minutes of complete devastation. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, that's true. And 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 during that time, let's say it's whatever Avengers one where there's aliens coming out of the hole in the sky and they're destroying Manhattan. Right? Yeah. Okay, they're destroying like all of Manhattan, and there's like two exteriors that are getting completely pummeled. But but all around, you're seeing. Like entire buildings going down. You're seeing like a quarter of Manhattan get destroyed. There is one office interior <laughs> that they keep returning to <laughs> that has, you know, a delightfully, you know, diverse, you know, multi ethnic, uh, uh, you know, uh, During wor- the battle, work- you mean? workforce, you know, and glass on all sides so they can see everything that's coming their way, but they never quite get demolished. <laughs> And I'm just like, I'm like, there are, you know, if this were actually happening, there are already like a million people dead. And you want me to care about the 20 people in this one office that are kind of seeing it go on. And I'm just like, I can't, I can't do that. That's just, and with all the money you have, like, that's the best you can do. I mean, like, like. It's like it's so cynical. Just, so I'm just like, and, and it just it just makes me co- come away from it with a bad feeling. So that's where Khan they destroy San Francisco. Yeah, right. I, and I get that. It's like it it turns into an action movie too fast. And if you watch now, I just started. I'm a terrible Star Trek fan because I just started watching the original series. I tried it when I was I grew up on the Next Generation, and I had the opposite reaction you did. Like I went back to the original series. I'm like, what the hell is this? Yeah. It's like there. I see the string. Like hanging, the th- like yeah, like, man, and, and and like there's no like the, like all the fighting looks ridiculous, and and it's it's not about that. But now that I'm rewatching, I realize it's more like a like a suspense thriller. A lot of those episodes, it's it's a more of a mind thing, you know. Yeah. It, and and I'm sort of embracing it, but I felt where they okay. What I really love about the Star Trek movies, like one of my favorite ones, is Star Trek VI, uh, the Undiscovered Country. And it's oh, because yeah. it's, it's a field of holes. Yeah. It's all that I have. <laughs> it's, it's, about it's a field of empty holes, but they're mine. <laughs> Something like that. That was like the thing. Wait, what the is that? Wait, what it's like that? the very opening of the movie. Like, 
Is that the one with Cochran? It's no, the, it's that's the, the guy one who with... convinces everybody he's God, right? No, that's five. That's five. Ah. That's the fi- that's the final frontier. Six is the one where there's the uh, the the Klingon ship that can fire while while cloaked, and yeah. and uh, and they assassinate the Klingon chairman, and they try to. Oh, is it the Kittimer stuff where yeah. it's like it's during no, Kittimer and it, it like it's... explodes? No, um, Kim Kim Cattrall's in it. She plays a right. uh, like yeah, a, a... Yeah. they all get drunk. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, they all get drunk name? one night, and and all hell breaks loose. But what I like about it is it's like grumpier old men in space. <laughs> it's like it's, it's like you watch it and it's and I get like goosebumps thinking about it because it's about the relationship these people have had for the last thirty years and how they love each other and and when Kirk's in trouble, like they will break every rule to go get him. And it's not about violence and, and mass destruction. Oh. It's about like the relationship these guys have and how much they love each other. And and to me that like. That like warms my heart. It's like watching that's grumpy whole, old men. That's the whole know? we're getting the band back together one where they steal Everyone the ship. Everyone is the getting no, no, no. the band back together. <laughs> no, but like it's his birthday <laughs> and he gives him the monocle and then the the, yeah. the, the bifocals or whatever the hell and then they, they steal the ship and they, they like they're all old and, gonna, and angry and they just like take the ship and go. I think you're mixing up like three I'm, of the movies. I totally you're gonna have to put things. some of this on Beyond the Band Geek. <laughs> like if you want to hear the rest of this, uh, how this Star Trek conversation <laughs> devolved into minutia, you can go. check Check in on Beyond the Band good, Geek, but good you, point. Good you point. have to put you have uh, to put four hundred dollars in the tip jar. Yeah, uh, Chris Hardwick is uh, going to be uh, hosting that show. Uh, it's going to be on A and E. He called, by the talking way. He said, talk. "Yeah, he said, what's talking up, man? Oh, talking Band Geek." So let's talk about some music. Um, <laughs> this is band. We did the geek part. That's taken care of. We can we can put that in a little drawer and close it up for good. So okay, obviously, um, I met you doing a. Symphonic gig. Uh, we did the symphonic music of Queen in Dayton, Ohio. Um, it was my first time ever doing something like that. Uh, but uh, I got the impression that you had done lots of gigs like that. So um, maybe we should start from the beginning. Like, w- what is your musical background? When did you start playing? All the the, the good old uh, you know solid fundamental questions I should be asking as an interviewer. <laughs> okay. okay. So um, so we'll just. I'm fifty. Okay. And uh, I. Really started. I really took an interest in playing the guitar after um, the Wall came out. When the Wall came out, I was like, "Must do this thing." <laughs> and I had, I had my 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 mom's a um, uh, was a, is a singer, classical singer, and my dad loved classical music. He was a lawyer, but he played the cello. So really, you know, very classical around me and everything like that. So I I uh, started with the Wall um, in like eighth grade. And uh, I went to Bronx High School of Science. I went to Bronx High School of Science. See, there you go. That's you know part of being a, a nerd geek <laughs> going to Bronx High School of Science. And um, and then uh, I went to University of Southern California. Oh wow! Um, and I had, I had, and I, when I first went there, I went as an electrical engineering major because uh, I thought Tom Schultz from Boston was the coolest guy in the world because he like invented the rock man and all this kind of stuff. And because they had a great studio guitar program, they're like I read a magazine article saying you know the studio guitar program. You right. ever seen? It was like there in Miami, you know. And um, so if I'd gone to Miami, you know, it, it you know it would have been cool. 
too, probably. But SC, so I was I did one year in electrical engineering and then switched to music because I was like basically flunking out. And then, uh, and so I finished four years at USC. So that was like 85 to 89. So like I used to go see Racer X. Oh man. Oh man. You know, and like, and, and, uh, and, and all that stuff was kind of going on, but I was just a little too young for, you know, gun, you know, like the hair metals on its way out, Guns and Roses was on its way in. And when I got done with college, I moved back to New York because it just wasn't gigging. When, when was your major performance? Yeah, uh, it was it was a Bachelor of Arts in music or, or in the humanities. So were you playing in guitar in college? Yeah. Okay. So I, I auditioned for the program. So I did a recital and all that stuff. And, and some of the guys that I went to school with, you know, are doing really well in Nashville and, you know, great players. And there's a lot of talented people there at the time. Were you playing classical guitar or electric guitar? Electric. Oh, you said that before. Yeah, yeah so, the um, studio program. And, oh, studio. So you were like playing pop music. Yeah. So the, 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 the head of the program was a guy named Duke Miller and he was like Tommy Tedesco era studio guy. Oh, cool. And then, um, and then there was a guy named Paul LaRose who was kind of this L.A. jazz guy. And everybody's secret to getting through a lesson with Paul LaRose was, um, man, if you just start talking about Hendrix, he'll talk to you about Hendrix for the rest <laughs> of the thing. And, you know, he won't, he won't be, you know, busting your chops about your arpeggios and stuff. And then the third guy was a guy named Steve Watson who's uh, from North Carolina, South Carolina. I can't remember. He was um, – so in the – Bush one era, there was a guy named Lee Atwater. I don't know if he was like Secretary of State. I can't remember what his position was. It was he, he used, you know, that was a very conservative administration. And this guy used to have pictures of him playing the guitar. So Steve Watson was, I guess, Lee Atwater's roommate in college or something oh, wow. like that. Yeah. Wow. And and Steve was the first call guy for Mike Post. Oh, for the TV shows. Yeah. So we would be there, it, like right at like you know, Larry Carlton would play. The Magnum PI theme song, and then all the incidental music, you know, like episode after episode, like a million versions of. Um, is it that? It takes a second to come on. Yeah, it's on. <laughs> right? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and. And so, so he would bring in the charts. He would bring in. He would like five finger discount the charts off the session. <laughs> Sorry, Steve, if you're out there listening. And um, and bring them in. And and so like that thing from the theme song would be the incidental music. You know where like Magnum is like sneaking around behind the you know trailers and stuff like that. So it was like a sixteenth note reading exercise. Like. It was like the, the Louis Belson book. Yeah, yeah. It was like you know, it was like one of those Chesky or whatever they go, like those eighth note reading things. So, so you'd have that, and so he he's like, "All right, here you go." And he and he was, can I say hard ass? Can I say a hard ass? He'd be like, you know, you get in there and you you play the chart down, and he'd be like, "All right, yeah, I mean, you could do that, you know." And so they, they, I mean, they'd stop it and they'd they'd roll it back, you know. They do that more than once. You start seeing them. You know, <laughs> they never call you again. <laughs> never call you again. That's amazing that he that like okay because like a lot of times when you're learning guitar stuff like you never get to see a professional chart. 
You know what I mean? Right. That's amazing. And that's and one one of the things I was really impressed by when I first met you is how great you read. And, <laughs> and they and they so it sounds like someone was was whipping your ass to get you to do that. Well, I think I I learned guitar by reading. Okay. So like my original teacher at American Institute of Guitar in the city, um, Michael Cusack, um, who's from Elizabeth, New Jersey, um, he took me through Mel Bay modern guitar method grades one through seven you actually did all seven books yes You're one of the, oh my i've only met two people that have done that you and bumblefoot those are the two people i know that have done that i've never heard of anyone getting through book two that's amazing that's amazing so yeah i think i stopped at you know and i've i've taught out like of i've taught out of the alfred books and, and those books and no offense to alfred but there's something about the way those simple reading exercises develop the other skills, like the, I don't know, the, the synchronous, the synchronicity of, of what is covered in each simple reading exercise when you add a string and then you add, you know, something else and then they add rhythmic value and then they, this, and like the, the way that book is done just still makes sense to me. It does. And when, when I was teaching, like the only thing I didn't like about the book was the, the, the tunes. (laughs) <laughs> it's like it, it's like I'm trying to explain to a kid like no like just don't worry about the tunes like sometimes when it was like you know da, 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 like uh, so, um, um. it was Calhan of Laredo is the one it was the one man right it would be that and I while they were doing that I'd be going da, 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 da. so just pretend it's that you know what yeah, I mean yeah. like what you do with that but uh, that's like my only gripe with that but. Uh, that's a great segue. You are also you have like an online instruction thing going on, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but just to to finish about the reading, that, that's very flattering. You said you thought I was a, a fine reader. Um, <laughs> it is it is it is an ongoing sense of uh, of insecurity for really? me. Is the is the reading, and it's just like, and do you ever just you're sitting there with the chart, and then suddenly like you're you're reading, you've compressed or decompressed the time and like the measures are going by like twice as fast as you think they're going by or half as fast as you think that, you know, like it just, that kind of thing. That makes me feel like better to hear you say that because, (laughs) because like, it's funny because when you first meet somebody, you don't talk about stuff like this, especially when it's in a professional setting where you're both basically doing the same gig and, and you, you know, the people just hired you or whatever. So I'm sitting next to him and I'm thinking the same thing. Like, man, I'm having a hard time with this. And now that you're telling me you're having a hard time with it, it makes me feel better. But, but, you know, but you know who, you know who was like really scary too is I just did a gig with Tim Quick. And, oh, and, 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 and he was guy. just like, I, I had a feeling that he basically was reading the stuff for the first time and just crushing it. Yeah, he's, so, he's you know. scary good. But the, so, so. I so there was a lot of reading in my upbringing, and then I came back to New York and I joined a, a prog metal band, and we were a very Vandergraaff generator, arty prog. We mm-hmm. weren't like kind of prog metal. We weren't stealing from the dregs and you know, a Dream Theater and, and Megadeth or whatever. Um, who's that? <laughs> Dream Theater. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so so we were, um, you know, so it was, so it, was, it it was not a fit. Because Nirvana came out and like that was it, yeah. right? It's so over, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so then I got hired by Kitaro, who's a new age artist, and and I re- and the last guitar player who had it before me was a guy named John DeFaria, who's <clears throat> amazing player, LA guy, and he sent me his charts. So then it was you know so then I got to see like 
charts that were, you know, professionally done, but for, you know, a, this kind of weird new agey gig, you know, just be like solo, you know, 48 bars or whatever yeah. on cue, go to this part. And there were just minimal things written out, just the chord and kind of do something here. And you, you know, you'd listen to the record and if there was any question, you could look at the chart, but then half the stuff wasn't there. It was just as useful as like those, those crappy piano books we used to get. Remember when we yeah. were all first studying, it was yep. like the only transcription book you could get was like a crappy piano book version of it. And you're like, this is not even close to the point. <laughs> not in the same key. Right. It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> so then it was just like, man, you just got to listen to the stuff and learn it. So in, in the, the instructional stuff, the, like, um, so if my reading is good, uh, thank you, and that's awesome. But my notational skills are terrible. So on the on the True Fire stuff, which yeah. I love doing, is a great outfit, and it, you can check out the True Fire website for all the lessons. It's really good, really great resource. Um, it is just like you you can just turn it in, and they have a transcriber. Oh, that's nice. Do it, and it's way better because I think I tried to do like 10 licks for blah, blah, blah for yeah. some magazine. And like my transcriptions didn't match my, uh, my, my performance of it. And I'm just like, it's just a field. And it's just Tony Iommi stuff. Man. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's just, come on. <laughs> you going to ask Tony Iommi to, you know, <laughs> notate his stuff. It's like, well, no offense. I guess but you're not Tony. Iommi. <laughs> Point taken. <laughs> yeah. I, I always, I mean, I was, I'm always wondering when I'm watching these things, like uh, there's a guitar player I really like named Martin Miller, and I bought his, uh, like one of his courses, kind of like what you do, I bought like, he had like a fusion one, and I'm reading it, and I'm like looking at all the transcriptions, and his stuff is like crazy, and every note is there in the transcription, I'm like, I wonder if he had to sit there and do this, because that just seems like, it would be easy enough to say, okay, I'm coming up with 20 licks, and I'll film myself doing them fast and slow, and whatever, uh, but then like to have to go back, that's, that's where the hours come in. It's, yeah, I, I uh, there there are certain things that when we set out to make our living with a guitar in our hands, right? You wind up with a certain skill set, like the things you can do fast and the things that you know take a lot of work. And so some guys just wind up being able to do that. You know, they they develop what's necessary to be the transcriber guys. Right. And uh, I'm not I'm not one of those guys I envy those guys no end but I mean it would never any attempt that I made it's like oh I could you know do a transcription for you know Cherry Lane music of you know this or that it was just like oh <laughs> it's gonna me. take me like 10 hours to do what some guy with perfect pitch and great notational rhythm skills can do in 20 minutes you know so forget it you know I, I my path wound up uh, the stage was always just very compelling to me. Like Hendrix. The performance aspect yeah, of it. Yeah, it's so important to me to be connected in, in that way. Like uh, that's what I love about music is is when we have fun doing it, when we connect with each other as, as players, and when you're doing something for the audience and you're showing them that like, you know, I'm I'm totally in it. I'm totally doing yeah. this. That you. you just made me. I'm, I'm sorry to backtrack, but you made me uh, think of a very funny story that has to do with you and I. And it's on that Queen gig. We did a few of them, and it was great. Um, but one of the things was that, like, that Queen is my favorite band, so I didn't really have to read that much. Like, and also those charts that we were doing were 
record, right to the record, every arrangement. So for me, it was just like, you know, I, I had the right guitar, I had everything, and, and, and you had to work a little harder than I did because, like, if the tables were turned and we were doing a Black Sabbath uh, symphonic thing, I would be sweating bullets and you'd be like, <laughs> what's the problem, Richie? You know what I mean? But anyway, but, I still, but there were songs I didn't know and I, I had to, you know, write my notes on them. And my notes were, like, so stupid because my reading, if if Angus says his reading is okay, then mine is horrible. I, mean, <laughs> I could read. I cannot sight read. Like, if you put music, guitar music in front of me, it does. It makes no sense to me. It's like I have to sit there and, and figure it out, internalize it. And, and then, then once I've played it a few times, then I can start seeing the connection. But I, you, I can't do it cold, you know, like – and that's something that just – it's it's something I can't do because it's something I've never been asked to do. Like in school, when when I when I'm studying composition and purchase, they'll give me a score, and you know score notation looks great. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's fine. But when you see someone doing like the where did he will on like a on guitar notation, it looks completely stupid. Right? It, like right. you know, like the easiest oh, guitar notation is terrible. Like, but it's the the easiest lick, like that, like the 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 Jimmy Page like where did he will. Or like you know Chuck Berry, where did it, where did it? looks completely stupid yeah, on yeah. on notated on, on traditional notation. Uh, so um, there were like little parts in the the Queen book that I had to like. I was looking at the music he wrote. I was like, I know that's right, but that is not going to help me. It's not. It doesn't tell me where I need to play this. So I wrote like little like pockets of tab and stupid notes, and I just totally wrote all over the 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 charts. And then there was a gig I couldn't do. And they're like, okay. And your friend Aurelian did it, right? Yeah. And they're like, okay, can you just give him your charts? I was like, no. <laughs> and, and he's like, come on, it doesn't matter. I was like, no, I wrote so much stupid crap on my charts. Like, he's going to think I'm an idiot. And I ended up giving him my charts. And I was like, this guy opened this. And he's like, what is wrong with this guy? Like, right, you know, and your uh, handwriting is miserable. No, so it was like extra bad. But I also had things like, you know, like. The meadly, meadly part. Like, like meadly, meadly riff. Like Hendrix thing. Like Chuck I had, Berry. I had, yeah, I had all these like, stupid things on there that make no sense to anybody but me. That's great. Well, I mean, I, you know, Aurelian is, is a, a badass player, mm-hmm. right? We can all agree. Everybody that we've mentioned, Quick, Aurelian, yeah. badass Badass players, and he—I've seen the way he notates the charts, and he uses a highlighter. Really, he's like, you know, it's like it, it was pretty cool. I was just like, really? Oh wow, okay. So they do it at Berkeley, okay? <laughs> uh, uh, the, so, so what's funny about that, right? Is that so? That's so. This is where we wound up meeting each other, mm-hmm. and um, and so like I had been on this journey, Kitaro, you know, some other bands uh, a band called drill um and then and then i got the tso gig and then i and then i got the rock of ages gig and then somehow those queen guys got the number of another one of the subs on rock of ages and he's like are you he calls me like and i'm 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 on a song division gig um which is my company that does Interactive team building like for corporate, for corporate stuff, yeah. yeah, for corporate events, and um, so I'm I'm on a song division job, and I get this call. Hey, are you available? Blah, 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 and do you read? And I was just like, um, Yeah, I read, and yeah, I'm available. So, and the whole thing was the guy that they called, who was also a sub on Rock of Ages, which we all just learned from the tapes. Yeah. Like none of the subs ever saw the book. There wow. was a book originally, apparently, but none of the subs ever saw it, and we all just learned it from the tape. 
and um, he he doesn't read like mm. at all. And so he was just like, "All right, you got it." And that's how I wound up there was well, being well. able to say yes to that to that question. I, I wound he, up there because Paul Crook said no. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think Paul Crook did the We Will Rock You musical. And they asked him, and he was unavailable. And then um, I think Danny and Michelli stepped in for me and were like, just get Richie. He could do it. And I, I hadn't read it, – it was fun for me because I hadn't had to read guitar music since high school jazz band. You know right. what I mean? That was like the right. last time I had to do it. And it, it was interesting. Like, like I said, I had an edge because I was like, okay, this is the music of my favorite band. No problem. You know, <laughs> and, and – Luckily, they also sent us recordings, yeah. so I could I could look at the music and like I'm not illiterate. I could look at the music and say, okay, obviously I'm playing the higher part, he's playing the lower part, no problem, like whatever. Uh, but that's how I got it because Paul couldn't make it. So it's funny how these things work out. Yeah. It, it's always it's oh the, the story is always way longer than anyone has time to listen to, it, you know. <laughs> but it's always just a a culmination of like relationships and phone calls and you know different little little breaks along the way. It's neat. Now you meant you mentioned uh, Rock of Ages. How 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 does someone get involved in Broadway playing? Yeah, that was like the world's quickest trip to Broadway that almost anybody ever took. Because you know, um, because Joel, who was who, Joel Hoekstra, had guitar the guitar one chair on that. You know, had done like Love Janice and had been kind of making inroads into this rock guys playing Broadway thing for years, you know, to wind up in that, in that position, um, of being the, the guy who was, you know, the guitar one on that gig. And, um, I, on the other hand, uh, was living in Brooklyn and I went to make your last battlefield mm -hmm. at a, at a studio that was called purple light studios or something like that. And it was owned by, um, it was co-owned by two guys, Mike Borelli and a guy named Mike Hambusi. Uh, and they're old friends of Constantine Maroulis's. Oh, okay. Because Connie, I think Connie was born in Brooklyn, but then his family moved to Jersey soon after. So, um, so he still has ties to Brooklyn. And um, so I'm down there and I'm working on the record. And then I'm working on a Daredevil Squadron record with uh, one of the... Which is your band. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, the, that's awesome, guys. You should check that out. Like, yeah, we have a whole record in the camera. Just looking for a label to put it out. Hello? Hello, anybody? And um, so we, uh, I go down there and they're like... And then, oh, the singer from Daredevil Squadron, who's also in the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, was like, man, I saw Rock of Ages. It was awesome. That's not how Andrew talks. But anyway, <laughs> he, was like, he was like, I saw Rock of Ages, man. It was awesome. The guitar player is like, he goes downstage and, you know, up light and, you know, crazy shredding. It's like totally featured. And, and uh, because the Broadway thing didn't really appeal to me, I'm going to sit in the pit and play. And, um, and so... So then I started – so we're in the studio and I started talking to uh, Mike uh, Borelli and Hambusi about, um, you know, hey, man, uh, you know Constantine. He's like, yeah. And so they, they passed my number to Connie and he called me and then he put me in touch with not Joel but um, actually Tommy. He was a Guitar 2 guy. And then uh, I went and met him and I played through the book and, you know, like just went through it like that and I subbed – Guitar 2 for almost a year, and then I started subbing both chairs, Guitar 2 and Guitar 1. And Joel remembered meeting me like once. 
She's like, yeah, I remember I met you. Steve Broderick brought you to some, you know, you, you were friends with Steve Broderick. I met you at this gig, blah, blah, blah. You know, you, you know, you were cool with me. <laughs> Let me tell you, I, I, I've met Joel a few times. It's really great when you meet someone who you think is one of the best guitar players in the world and he's not a jerk. And that's Joel. Like, it's like, because like the way Joel plays, he could totally be a jerk and no one would, would hold it against him because he's so good. But he's not. He's just like super yeah. nice. Like, you know, he, he like every time I've seen him, he, he stops what he's doing. He takes time to talk to you. He, he's just a nice dude. Yeah. It, so, it, so that was, so that was like one of the quickest trips to Broadway. And there I was, you know, dropping the, um, dropping the F bomb on the, on the, That's uh, right. while walking the boards of the Brooks Atkinson theater, you know, with all my moms was like, there you are on stage at the Brooks Atkinson theater, <laughs> dropping the F bomb. <laughs> That was, that was your dialogue at the show, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get two lines. It's my only line. Two lines. Now, do you have to get an act, actors uh, guild uh, membership to do no, that? No, they they you know the musicians union. There's a I don't know. There's a pay scale under five or something. You don't actually have to be in the actors union. Right, 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 like right, that. right. And and so you've gone on to sub for other shows too, right? Um, I just I just sub I subbed for our friend. Tim Quick on on School of Rock for just like two weeks, and with former band geek guest Brandon Etheridge. Mm. Yes, it was, it was tremendous. Um, the you said I was watching a video of you doing a song division thing. I was I was doing my homework, and you said something really funny. You said I'm from uh, I'm from Rock of Ages, the musical, not the movie, because the movie's awful. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, the, I, as. I say I've, I've I was a you know I've played in the in the in the musical Rock of Ages for six years. It's different than the movie oh, yeah. in that it's entertain, entertaining instead of awful. I, I just remember before the movie came out, I was hanging out with you and our friend Justin Sargent, who was in uh, was in Rock of Ages too, and Justin Jesus Christ Superstar. That's right, TV, and, yeah. and Tim Quick. Yeah, we have we're connected here. But, uh, <laughs> but um, I remember. Justin, yeah, I think you were talking about this, and Brandon too. They're like, "Oh my God, if that movie sucks, it's it's over for us." Because then everybody's going to watch that and think that's what the show is, and that's kind of what ended up happening, right? Um, I don't know. I think that it didn't uh, it didn't make it. I couldn't say. Yes. I, I just don't think. I don't think it had a real detractive effect to to the Broadway okay. show, but I don't think it cemented the the notion of the brand and legacy, you know, the it didn't way, help. Yeah. I mean, like you look at the movie school of rock has, is so good, mm-hmm. you know, that they could go make a musical of it like 10 years after it was released. You know, right. that brand is so strong and I'm sure that, that, you know, I'm sure that musical has its challenges in production in terms of getting, you know, in terms of turning it, all these music, you find out all this once you work in the theater, but all these musicals, they rely on once it closes, printing the book up and licensing it to, you know, to regionals and colleges schools, yeah. and yeah. schools yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, so that, that challenge of having, you know, you've got a student band backing up an even younger student band, like, you know, it's like, right. I'm, I'm, but I'm sure they'll figure out a way, you know. Um, We're bringing kids over from the elementary school today. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, well, what Brandon was telling me about that was it's kind of weird with that musical because the band is not on stage. And yes, then, and, so that was me in a traditional pit, and it was it was it was not my favorite uh, place to be. 
Now, for, for those of you who don't know what a traditional pit looks like nowadays in Broadway, you're in basically an off. It looks like you work in office space. It's like you're in a cubicle or something like that, like in the, in the bowels of the building where no one can hear you. Yeah, it's not where the pit used to be. Yeah. Because the pit is now occupied by like some hydraulic lifts, mm-hmm. you know, that, that exchange the sofa, the set pieces and stuff yeah. like that. So it's off to the, it's down there, but then off to the side. And they, you know, it's literally been built just to house the band for, for that show so um, in the relation in, in relation sorry because this is new to me because i just assumed that the pit was the giant hole that was in front of the stage so where do they put the pit now is it under the stage is it to the side of the stage is it on the same plane as the like, stage like, like where they put the musicians yeah where do they put the musicians it's beneath and off to the side oh no so it would be under the stage left wing and then the conductor has a monitor right well we you it's I was only there for two weeks, and so I mean, I'm no, I'm no expert, but it was really fascinating, and it was a privilege to do it because I mean, it's Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, Winter Garden Theater. I mean, mm, it was really, it was really awesome to to get to do it. So I don't want to, you know, detract from what. No, that no, and, and that's and that's not the the uh, the question. It's just like it, um, it's just like that. People think that. The pit is like when you watch a high school musical. Right front, it's, it's right in the front, below the stage, so you sort of can't yeah. see it. But That's now, what like, I, thought. I think for sound isolation reasons, yeah. the, a lot of times the bands are like nowhere near the stage, so they can't even see what's happening just through video. You monitors. have a yeah. So the if I remember correctly, the conductor is sitting there, um, and he's got a large monitor in front of him. And he's conducting into a camera because there's a large monitor facing the actors. Okay. And they can see, they can see the okay. conduct. And then each of us has a, a small monitor mounted next to your music stand. But, and you're on in-ears and you're, you know, you're sitting and you have the whole score and a pedal board. But, and you're just, you're just you know, watching the conductor as much as possible and then you know trying to read some of the score and you know it's it's that whole thing like the high pressure version of you know when we did the queen thing it's like you pretty much knew the tunes i i was pretty familiar with most of the tunes and stuff like that and we had the audience to work off of you know we moved the music stand so we could go showboat and stuff like that right yeah you don't get any of you don't get any of those distractions (laughs) like you just have this guy is able to hear everything that you play and so it it you know, it focuses you probably. Yeah. And so um, and so then there's maybe one thing where an actor does a jump and when he lands, that's when the band cuts off. So you can kind of verify that, you know, but the the conductor would give it to you. So anyway. you can't see the stage at all. Just on your little monitor. Oh, they show a, you the, just what's, what's, a one shot of the stage, just oh, a wide shot of the stage. Okay, so I you mean, can. like a person is like that big. Because <laughs> I remember when we used to do um, like musicals in high school. I know it's not the same thing, but we would be in the pit. And then, like, if and, and what would happen is the whole band would end up doing this. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Especially when Renee Taliento walked out with the leather pants during the Rent one we did. <laughs> like, like we yeah. every every guy in the, the pit band missed a cue. Just we're all like, <laughs> <laughs> is that out tonight? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. If Renee no, Taliento, I, I didn't I know the story, watching. but I was I was guessing. If, if you are, I apologize for out. You you were really hot. I'm sorry. Okay. There it is. That song was memorized. So yeah. So that was uh, you know. Th- and anyway, it's uh, it's a real experience. It, it's it's pretty 
is pretty trippy compared to. That sounds very weird and like non-organic. Like it feels it's, very. It's it's a it's a different thing. So so um, when you guys are doing like a TSO gig, um, um, is there a charge for that, or is that like more of a learn from the record, or you come up with the arrangements yourself? How, how does that work? Uh, the best thing to do is to learn it from the record, but then there the classical bits you can get like usually the cello part is the closest thing to what the guitar plays or you get like any kind of condensed piano score or something like that where you can get a real read on what's the what's the chord and what's the bottom note so it's so it's it's kind of interesting getting through some of those parts also you know because i i have the luxury of being in the touring band with al petrelli yeah right who actually plays the guitar on the records and then they're like the rest of us go in and like each of us may get a solo or a feature you know on on this record or that song or something like that um but then we'll also go in and just double some rhythm parts and stuff like that and you know like i've been touring with al for 17 years so doubling his parts in studio like i'm pretty well acquainted with his feel so you know it's kind of interesting kind of how easily that that goes down in the studio for me these days. But um, the, so being in the same band with Al, you know, I can just be like, you just show me what's going on there, man. Cause come so, on, it's just, it's just too much. Cause there'll be things where it's, you know, you're, you're talking about the difference between, um, you know, is it, or, right. you know, and like, and, and Petrelli's always, He's almost always he's got this amazing ability. I don't know if it's, if it's just his ears are so good. He he will play like the Blackmore version of a power chord more often than he plays the Tony Iommi version. He'll, right. he'll play after he plays F chord like that and his C chord like that. It, it's but, almost better to do that in a densely uh, populated musical landscape where you're not going to mud anything up when you do the black the uh, the Blackmore version. Yeah, yeah, but it's his tone with that Les Paul. It's like you hear the bottom note. Like always, it's like, I, it's like it, it, you know, it's just, it, it always sounds like that, you know, but he's, ne- he's almost never doing that. And, um, there were just, there were some things, there's some things that it took him years to show me too. Really? <laughs> so he, funny. He guarded a few things, huh? I don't, I don't think it was ever on purpose. <laughs> it was just like, oh, Angus is fine. He's got it, you know? And then, and then I was just like, what is going on there? And he's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, between the second and third string, like, I don't shift positions, so you wind up playing the same note twice. Oh. Oh. You know, I was just like, I was like, that's... Mad- maddening to try to figure out from the record. Because <laughs> you think it's a linear scale, and they're like, oh, no, there's a double note in there, but it doesn't sound like a double note because it's on a different string. So that'll just drive you up a wall. <laughs> So, That's the secret. So yeah, now, the reason why Angus says he's in the band with Al is because there's multiple TSO bands. Right? There's two of them? Two. So there's another band with totally different guys in it right. doing the same music, and that's just a, a logistical uh, advantage, right? Yeah. We, we're um, they So they put out the first tour. I mean, you know, TSO has been so good to me. It's amazing to be just a part of it. And, uh, you know, we, we lost Paul O'Neill I last know. year. Um, so we've all gone through a lot, um, making sure that 
the uh you know his legacy is is intact and it was just such an honor to work with him and um but the the story there is that you know they had this genius idea and it became a hit on radio and then they put it on tour in um let me get the years right 99 would have been the first tour and i don't know it was like maybe two weeks worth of shows or something like that and that was one band so that was petrelli caffrey johnny lee jeff plate like was the rhythm section for that. And then 2000, Al was in Megadeth. And so, and, but the story I heard was that the booking agent just for Krebs went like book, book two, book two tours. Oh, okay. And then they told Paul, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so it was like a a scramble sort of situation. No, not a scramble, but just whichever way it happened, you know, Paul had the vision to, to see what, um, what it could be. And, um, and yeah, it's the nature of, of it being, you know, the, the Christmas season and you need to get to all the major markets in that short period of time. And, um, and so then, uh, in 2001 was when I was hired. So there was an East coast, West coast band since 2000, but since 2001, it's been, um, me and Al and Jane. And then Johnny Lee came back in 2002 so it's been me al johnny and jane except for a couple of years where johnny went to the east coast band but okay yeah so i mean that's you know family yeah and uh we have a uh a degree of separation because al petrelli played with blue oyster cult for i think yeah. a, a, like a month's worth of gigs or something yeah he just he, he and he did my my position hmm. he played uh keyboards and guitar he played alan's parts when was that 99 i think mm. i'm sure someone will correct me if i'm wrong on twitter <laughs> Yeah, and we had John O'Reilly in our in our band for years. Very, very incestuous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's play a tune. Um, well, we already recorded the songs. I'm not going to pretend like we're doing that anymore. Cause it's, <laughs> no, because it always comes off stupid. Because when we come back, we're like, "Yeah, that was great, guys. Good job." So, um, so so natural. Yeah. What's uh, what song do you want to uh, play for the people first? Play. Well, I so I uh, just in the last two years, I had the honor of uh, getting asked to play with Joe Lynn Turner. And, uh, who, so, and, uh, from rainbow and it was just like, so amazing for me because again, and I'm a hero to everyone I went to high school with <laughs> <laughs> because, because they, you know, WPLJ when it was Carol Miller on WPLJ, like, you know, in the afternoon, she wore. <laughs> Look at me. He has a WPLJ <laughs> pop socket. Yes. Pop socket. It's not not the WPLJ that uh, it was. <laughs> that makes pop sockets. <laughs> but, but 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 we'll tie that into the second song. Okay, what yeah. WPLJ is now. But uh, so we have WPLJ to blame for everything you're going to hear. So we do a chronological history of WPLJ. Yeah. So. Um, man, but they just wore out, um, jealous lover, stone cold, um, and street of dreams. I mean, just so, so intensely. And so when I got the, got the call to, to play with Joe, it was just amazing. And, um, you know, got to play all that stuff. Plus like a couple Ingve tunes, which was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and um 
And and of of all those tunes, I really had to pinch myself playing like Stone Cold and Jealous Lover. Maybe Stone Cold most of all because like that, Blackmore's your your dude. Oh, just yeah. Look so, at the guitar just, this guy brought. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm I was and so the first year I I was very happy. So this is a '62 American Vintage '62 with David Allen pickups. <laughs> <laughs> and um and and i i was i was so kind of stoked with how how this how this one did and then this one's a, a custom shop 69 that i got more recently that has um seymour duncan pickup <laughs> uh noiseless uh pickups and so um yeah i was just i mean you know, phase shifter, delay, white strat with black pickups, marshals, uh, you know. Childhood dream. You were there. Uh, just completely, <laughs> totally into it. And um, but uh, but Spotlight Kid was a song that I just didn't have that much, you know, a, a connection with maybe, you know, in high school. But like when we got into it for doing the for doing the tour uh, with Joe, it it. It's just such a great lyric. I just love it. I just love uh, from a from a vocal standpoint from what the words are and everything. Like just the whole story. I think in that in that about song. like being on tour and, and like you know just that experience. Oh, uh, just that thing. Like the way the the storyline in the song. You know, is the story like like uh, you know of having it. Uh, you know, this you're in love with the spotlight since that first. Since that first, you know, time on stage, you know, you just were like, man, I'm just all lit up because this is the most amazing thing. This is the most amazing thing to perform music, you know, with people and everything like that. But in the way that the spotlight is, you know, like a drug or something like that, as the, you know, the nature of time, as we all get older, me particularly... I used to be old school. Now I'm just old. <laughs> um, uh, that uh, you know, these things fall away, and then what are you left with? Because if, if all you really loved about doing it was the spotlight, you're not going to have that yeah. eventually anymore. So, and and you know, that's the thing. Like, man, we we've all gone through playing music for you know to you know meet people to be romantic with. We've, you know, we've, uh, you know, money, you know, some sense of self-worth, you know, all these different things. But then at the end of the day, like it's, you know, it's play for play. Like this is what, you know, there's the joy of just making the music. So anyway, that's why. So let's do Spotlight Kid. Okay. So coming at you right now (laughs) on WPLJ, Spotlight Kid.
Okay, that was great. Said you were gonna do that. Good, good job, Andy. Great solo, Angus. Wonderful vocals, Vinny. You practiced really hard on that. Nice job, buddy. That's a lot. Uh, when I told Vinny, Vinny has like a non-prog rock clause in, in Band Geek. <laughs> like if, if there's a prog rock song, we move Andy over to keyboards and someone else plays drums. That's how, that's how it goes. Smart. Smart to do. So because you know Vinny's Vinny's skill set is that Vinny can play a seven-hour gig and not run out of songs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like that's something we can't do. He can do that. And so I I, I throw down the mantle of, of the king of that to you. But you know the he he just. He just no prog rock. So when I when I listened to this song, I said, "This is sort of on the edge of what you're going to be comfortable <laughs> with," you know. But he's like, "No, I could do it," and you and you came through. So thank you, buddy. Yeah. Good job, Vinny. Well, thank, thankfully there was a horror in the middle of that song. Yeah, and the <laughs> wedding player. So that's right. You know, the Jews, Italians, we can do a horror, no problem. Hey, run me back to what I know. It was it was, it was a tarantella, a horror, you know, whatever. It's, it's okay. You know, have you ever played a wedding? Um, I've played like the. The um, you know ceremony music on nylon string, okay, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So it, they, they get everybody, the wedding people. They, <laughs> no one's safe from it. It was for friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. Um, so uh, something worth mentioning. I'll do a little double plug here. You are going to be playing a gig with Andy, and where's that going to be? Biloxi. Biloxi, yeah. So where is Biloxi? What state is that? Mississippi. 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 Okay. What's the date? Do you remember the date? Uh, July seventh. Yeah. So if you are in the Biloxi area, July seventh, and you want to come see Band Geek Andy playing keyboards, along with Angus Clark killing the guitar on some classic Queen music, with Mark Martell, arguably the greatest Freddie Mercury impersonator on the planet—not impersonator, but uh, who who not only sounds like Freddie, but can capture every single nuance of Freddie's voice. You're in for a treat. I saw the show with Angus, and um, basically Andy's filling in for our buddy Brandon Etheridge. But I saw that show at the um, Performing Arts Center in Newark, and it was scary good. Uh, I mean, the, the band's amazing. You got Jason Gianni on drums, mm-hmm. um, bass player. Uh, J.R. McNeely is probably Thank you. That's it. Yes. J.R. McNeely um, and uh, Andy and Angus. And but Mark Martell, it, it's kind of scary listening to it because he chills yeah it, it he sounds he sounds it's the closest you're going to get to seeing freddie i mean i i never got to see queen so I, I i mean i got to see queen with paul rogers which was wonderful uh but this was the next best thing you know to seeing freddie mercury it's really good and he's a wonderful performer so if you can see that that especially that gig with these two guys on it you should definitely do that uh so there's, there's your Thank plug you. yeah what? Nothing. I just I figured I'm trying. I'm trying to be nice to you, jerk. You are very nice. Come on out. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be shedding, playing with a sixpence. It's gonna be. Awesome. That's right. You went the full distance. You even got the sh- the right shoes, man. <laughs> like like every. I went to go see them, and everybody's like, "Wow, he got the guitar." I'm like, "Screw that. He has the shoes on. <laughs> he got the right shoes. This guy. And he had a vest on and the shoes. So that's I I that's commitment. I can't. I can't even go there. Like I, I try to get close to sound, but if you wear the shoes. Well, you're okay with me. It's like a, it was like on the Joe Lynn gig. I was as soon as I got it, I was like, I'm ordering some white boots. <laughs> <laughs> I was just imagining showing up for the rehearsal 
And it was like, what's with the white boots? What do you mean, where are your white boots? <laughs> I, like, I, I have all those press photos of Rainbow <laughs> from 81, and they're all wearing white boots. And, and Joe got it. He was like, yeah, man, we had them in every color. <laughs> <laughs> Is, I, I've never met Joe. I saw, I saw Over the Rainbow once, and he was phenomenal. But um, what's what's it like? I know you did a gig with Jules Rodino. He he filled in with with you guys. Yeah, Jules was slaying on that gig. Oh yeah, and um, all the drummers have done. You know, Charlie Z, Jules, um, Jason Hartless, um, all those guys are killing. Uh, man, it just you don't hear a guy open up his mouth and make that kind of sound every day in the mm-hmm. microphone. It's 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 nuts. It really like even if it wasn't, you know, like I got chills playing like Stone Cold cuz of what it was on the radio for me as a kid, but man, just really I mean when we do Highway Star and, you know, the, some of the Deep Purple classics and and Long Live Rock and Roll and all that stuff, it's like, man, it is just the real deal. Just it's a, one of rock's great voices, man. He's just got it. And uh you don't hear that that often i mean you know it right it i'm not saying that i don't make them like that anymore but i mean yeah it, it's and and he's still doing it like for real well, yeah that's what's amazing to me because i always felt like there was a bit of a shelf life on that kind of singing you know like there's only so much you can do of that before you have hit the wall like i can't sing these notes anymore this is gonna have to come down this is gonna have to come down or i can't hit them with the same amount of power like i'm already noticing things in my own voice in five years time like i can't imagine that the span and the scope of, of that kind of career yeah yeah you you just have to you know if it's the physiology or the way they're using it or there's just some like paul rogers man we have paul rogers come out with the tso uh you know for a he's couple a freak. Of gigs, oh, he's unreal. For he's a couple unreal. of gigs like 10 years ago, and then he came back out again last year, and uh, the year before last, and just same thing. No no more rock star than that guy. Mm-hmm. Like we show up for sound check, and there's his mic stand, you know, his custom-made mic stand. <laughs> you know, it's like it's there's nobody else's mic stand. It's his mic stand. It's just <laughs> sitting there in the middle of the stage, and we're just standing there like, mm, boy, <laughs> on the stage. And then he walks out, and um, and he walks out, and he grabs the fifty-eight off the stand, and he picks it up, and he twirls it, and throws it, and catches it, and then he goes, and he does, you know, a whoa, 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 you know. Just, <laughs> <laughs> I was like. Rock star in the building. Here you go. I, mean, just... I saw that dude hurl. I swear it must have been like 15 feet in the air. <laughs> he threw that thing and then he's like still singing like Paul Rogers because that's just amazing. He gets better every time I've heard him from from the beginning. But like then I'm watching him. I think we were on the boat when we when I saw him and he's throwing this thing and the boat's like this <laughs> and he's throwing this mic stand up in the air and catching up. How are you doing this? How are you a human? He can't be human. Practice. He can't. He can't. He's amazing. And, he's and, so amazing. And still such a nice guy. And and uh, well, here's here's a question for you. Um, do, do guys like Joe Lynn and 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 Paul Rogers, when, in your experience? Do they have like a strict like regiment with like sleeping and eating and 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 like just to maintain the voice? I I wouldn't know about Paul because you know we just saw him like just one a, day at a, a time. Spot, right? You know, um, I think you know it's just proper rest and hydration. I haven't I, I don't I don't I mean as even as much time as I spent with Joe, which was really just kind of like three runs. Um, 
you know, just these guys, you know, they take it easy when they're so that they're ready to do it and they, uh, they know how to rest it. And, and like, you know, Joe, I think he, he's sung with, I, we had a couple of gigs where he had a cold and he's like, he's always said, he's like, Oh, my teacher taught me how to sing over above a cold. Like, you know, where's placement to get his placement mm-hmm. in the right place. So he wow. can still do it. You know, he's just got great, uh, training and instinct and, so know, he took man. lessons for singing. Oh yeah. yeah wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm, you know, I just honored, just been a thrill to to ever be on stage with these guys. So before we shift gears to current PLJ, um, <laughs> is there anything else you want to plug or talk about before we uh, play the last song? Well, um, first of all, thank you so much for having me. This is a pleasure, and yeah. I think we're going to talk about Star Trek more after this. So <laughs> I, I mean. <laughs> Sorry, band geeks. You don't get to hear that part of the conversation. <laughs> um, well, I, you know, I've, I've still, I've got all the courses on True Fire. Um, if you're interested in, in uh, some of my, you know, the True Fire is a great resource. It's a great website, subscription based website. There's stuff on YouTube, but that's not like the full app. You know, if you get the app, you can slow it down. You have the notation. You get the backing track. You know, all this kind of stuff. So it's a much deeper thing than some people think it is right um and then uh i've i don't haven't been an active youtuber but i'm about to get started on on that much more you know i've got a, a home studio now set up and so there's gonna great be some more some more stuff coming out some you know demos and star trek music probably and <laughs> some other things like that um <laughs> and uh you know the the things that uh i'm working on right now you know song division is something i'm very passionate about we we do uh, if you're not familiar with what it is it's um we basically just believe life is better with music and we act we do that by getting hired in the corporate events marketplace to uh create customized interactive programs for non-musicians so the main one that we brought in was um, having an a you know a band of great players uh, interactively write a song with a group of any size people, but that that's spilled over into just a host of other highly interactive things that we do for you know big sales meetings for big pharmaceutical companies and sales kickoffs and all this kind of stuff. But it's how long have you been doing that for? Uh, Ten years. Wow. Yeah, that's a that's really, really ambitious thing to, to to do. Was this your like your brainchild? Uh, no, it was it was founded in Australia by a guy named Andy Sharp, and I got called for the first couple of U.S. sessions that they did, and I just really enjoyed it. And so I hunted this guy down in Australia. I called him up. I, hey, I'm that guitar player you hired. I really <laughs> like I really like doing that. And before you know it, I was I I was, ran a couple of gigs in Australia, and then came back and brought the whole process here. And since then, we developed like a bunch of different programs that you know people it's just great it's like i i we share the joy of making music with non-musicians help them interact with each other and you know be better you know i don't know corporate citizens or employees <laughs> or help them be more innovative use their innovative problem solving brains you know by just connecting them through music so it's a great thing and um you can songdivision.com you can check that out and then uh, be on the lookout for the Daredevil Squadron record. It's in the can. We've released two singles, Last Resort and Back from the Dead. And we'd love to put out the whole thing. Um, we just would really love to have 
the assistance of a record label. Right. In that. <laughs> and not have to have to Pursuit. do that out of pocket. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the next song or the, we're going to take the show out with this up with this song and it's one of the oddest requests I've gotten from a band geek uh, guest so far. So what the heck, man? <laughs> <laughs> I uh this is you, we're we're pilot testing this this idea that I have that um the pop music that I hear on the radio, which I listen to a lot because my daughter is eight and we put on <laughs> WPLJ 95.5 in the car and we listen to everything that's been produced by Zed, who is, I'm sure, a wonderful Canadian Love ge- that, dude. Gentleman. Clarity is one of my favorite songs like that has come out in the past 10, 15 years. And, and, Easy. And, uh, you know, In the Middle... The Target commercial, that's yeah, one of yeah, his, yeah. and uh, the Alessia Cara song. Uh, yeah, um... Something about a heart? No, not your heart. Stay? Um, stay. All you have to do is stay. I can't think of how that that's sounds the... in my head. The other one that he did, too, was... Oh, the, um... No, but he did the other one with the chick from Paramore. Uh, no, and no, Florence, Florence. Are you gonna stay the night? Are you gonna stay the night? Ah, ah, ah. Is that? Yeah. Wait, yeah. is that Paramore or is that Florence? I think that's Haley. That's, Par- Paramore. that's Paramore. And then the other Haley. one I was thinking was Sweet Nothing. Sorry. So the more I listen to this stuff, I was just like, man, this would just be awesome if it was cut with players. I just, you know, like... I don't know, like the choruses don't blow up like they should, right? Because like you don't have acoustic instruments and well, in this people case, hitting, digital no, facsimiles of acoustic. There's instruments. no people hitting stuff or you know anything like it, you know. So anyway, um, of of all that, uh, uh, my uh, and, and you know this probably just all has a lot to do with me and my daughter. We just kind of connected over like she was listening to Demi Lovato, and then. The new record came out, and I, she just kills it vocally on um, "You Don't Do It for Me Anymore." That that one's kind of like a little R and B ballad, but like her voice is just killing. And then, um, so then the big, you know, uh, "Tell Me You Love Me" is the um, is the title of the record, and it's the the lead single, and is you know it's a monster hook. It's awesome, and I was just like. I was like, I so I've had this whole idea that I w- I would really like to, you know, get you know go into, you know, big A list room with you know all mic'd up through a Neve console, and and play the crap out of some of these tunes that are on the radio because some of them are really good tunes and some of them are are awesome, you know, vehicles for singers to really give it their all. But wouldn't that just be awesome if it was, you know, everybody was hitting it at the same time, and you know, and, and they had a couple players. of guitar solos for good measure, <laughs> <laughs> and then take a guitar solo. So, so anyway, so my wife and I just took just took my daughter Lily to uh, to see Demi Lovato last night, and uh, and then we we came in here, and I figured let's do. Um, Tell Me You Love Me by Demi Lovato. And I can tell you, we had a harder time with this than the Rainbow Song. I think it's, <laughs> I, I think it's the band geeks just leaving their comfort zone a little bit, but that's, it's good to do. Although Andy had all the American Idol fills down. <laughs> I practiced it. <laughs> he, 
He practiced the fills that aren't on the record, but it somehow fits. But he did that film. Like, is that American Idol film? I'm like, yeah. I was like, maybe bring it down to the voice fill, not the American Idol film. I'm repeating a joke I said before. It was very funny before we were recording. Randy, Randy's you had, still you had, laughing. You had to be there, I guess. It was, it was, it was hilarious. Oh, yeah, show the American Idol fill again. Right, right, then, then, right from church, and then you got to end tight on the click. Right? Yeah, exactly. that's what makes it American Idol. That's what makes it different than actually doing it. And and you know Demi Lovato's band were killing, but there was that I was I was just talking. There, we were talking before, and I was just like, yeah, I don't know if it's the musical director giving them instruction, but I really feel like they were overplaying. <laughs> and then it was revealed to me that. That this this uh, amped up style of gospel church drumming yes. is all the rage in the uh, TV and pop community, and so but but it was always like over the bar line yeah. and crazy, and then <laughs> <laughs> squirrel. <laughs> like no one on stage can breathe at that yeah, moment. Right. You have to all stop breathing. But the and the guitar player was killing. He had one moment downstage, but the rest, you know, the band are like. There's a video wall at the back of the stage, and there's about 15 feet of video wall, and then there's a space, and then there's the rest of the video wall above it. And in that space is where the band are on rise. <laughs> so they're literally, they're like behind the, the they're just in this, and and the only light that is ever on them is, well, there may be some illumination comes on the front, but they get you know backlit for silhouette, which okay. is a classic TSO the, move. <laughs> uh, Stole that from us, and. Um, um, and then and then the the, the eye mag goes on them like at one point where there's kind of a feature, and then they so the guitar player is this one moment where he comes up front. I was like, "You go," <laughs> and he's just tapping, and you know, he made the most of it. <laughs> and I, I looked to find out his name online. I can't find out his name. So if you're out there, killing. <laughs> Good job, buddy. Absolutely killing at enviable gig. Uh, that, that must just be awesome, you know, because the crowd is so connected. Right. And she's just killing it. And it's just great. I, I just like that he played as many notes as he could in that one spot. <laughs> like so, sometimes we'll do like a, a casino gig where we have to play really short. And Eric and I get one big spot with Blue Oyster Cult. And Eric will say, like, you know, keep it shorter today. I was like, all right, I'm just telling you, I'm going to play the same amount of notes <laughs> just in less time. So, so be, be ready for that. <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to thank our guest, Angus Clark today, who's been wonderful. Awesome guest. You're, you're like the perfect band geek guest, the Star Trek and the, the, the music knowledge and the schooling and the, touring experience this is awesome your stories are great you can write a book I bet but this, this is great uh, killing it with the American Idol Phil Andy Escalise <laughs> look out for Andy what's the name of that band it's the Ultimate Queen Celebration the Ultimate Queen Celebration Andy will be touring with them on keyboards check that out if you can on vocals my wife Anne-Marie Castellano <laughs> on keyboards Vin Innocente <laughs> And a uh, nice round of applause for our director and our uh, vo- our off-screen voice of God, Brandy Bataxis. Oh, Brandy! The enchanting voice of God. The, encha- the enchanting. <laughs> and now here's something you weren't expecting to see in this episode. Watch the band geeks play a Demi Lovato song. See you next time.
Und du bist ein Kind.